What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Alessandra Torasani has been dancing, singing, and acting for most of her life. You may recognize her from her performance as Zoe Greystone in sci-fi's critically acclaimed Caprica, or from one of her many guest appearances on popular shows, such as The Big Bang Theory, Batwoman, American Horror Stories, The Fosters, and Malcolm in the Middle. Alessandra is also a fierce advocate for mental health awareness, a mission she infuses into her fun and thoughtful podcast, Emotional Support. She joined me recently to talk about her experience with bipolar disorder, a few listener questions about dating and mental health, her acting career, and what it's really like to be part of a makeout scene. If you want to have more fun making out and then some, head to thepleasurechest.com to explore their latest specials on sex toys, lube, and more. I highly recommend checking out their awesome holiday gift guide for sweet ideas to bring more pleasure to you and to folks you care about all season long. Again, that's The Pleasure Chest at thepleasurechest.com. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear why explicit sex tips can be important. At least one especially hot one and more with Dr. Megan Fleming. I hope you'll also check out the brand new Girl Boner Radio community. I just launched it at patreon.com forward slash girl boner. More on that a bit later. So when Alessandra meets someone for the first time and they ask her what she does for a living, they haven't recognized her yet, she told me she has no shame. Well, I always like to start off that I'm an actress to a fault um, where I will be at a restaurant and if a waiter is being nice and I have a show that's coming out, I'll be like, hey, I did this the other day. I'm like, do you ever watch Batwoman? Oh my God, you don't. We should watch it. I I play this character, Duella Den. So like, I am my own PR machine. So I am first and foremost known as an actress. I am a loud Italian who has a podcast called Emotional Support. It is about mental health and destigmatizing and making it fun and light. And we laugh a lot. We're a little naughty. And you joined us, which was so amazing. I just love that. So yeah, I think that that's kind of the short version. I love it. I love it. And I also really appreciate your openness and your advocacy really in the arena of mental health. I was just listening to your podcast and you just interviewed this wonderful person, Britt Bronson. She's an angel. Oh, there's this beautiful like kindred energy between you two because you both have bipolar disorder and you spoke about that kind of common bond when you meet someone who not only relates to your experience, but is willing to be open and honest. When in your life did you decide to speak out about mental health or has that always kind of just been who you are? 
I'm a very outspoken person, but certainly not with mental health. This is all quite new for me. When I was diagnosed, I did not speak about it because they told me I shouldn't speak about it. I'd be labeled as a diva. This was the time of Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears, Barris Hilton and all that stuff. And so they were like, just keep it calm. You don't want to be difficult on set, even though I was very professional and kept it separate. And then I worked with an organization called NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And they asked me to make a video um, talking about mental health. I spoke on my bipolar disorder on Instagram TV. The video got incredible reaction. So I continued to make videos once a week and just speak about my journey. And a, a company had reached out to me that did a conference for mental health called Kindred. And they brought on 60, not influencers, but people who are in the field of mental health, but are not professionals and kind of who are doing their own different platforms and have their own voices. And actually at that event is where I met Britt Bronson. Uh, she was there for her company called Space Movement, her organization. We kept in touch and we went to lunch and we didn't even realize we were both bipolar until that lunch, which was like six months later. So she has been instrumental in helping me out in um, not only my own mental health, but she's helped so much with the podcast and introducing me to incredible people and kind of just been a fighter that's had my back throughout this whole thing. So yeah, so it really took me to hear other people's stories and kind of just be so frustrated and it was so cathartic and freeing to be able to speak my truth. And I kind of got over, if the business didn't like me because of that, then fuck them. I was like, I just don't care, you know? And it's funny when I'm talking about this Batwoman character, she's supposed to be an insane person, which is like me, uh, but also bipolar and, and all these different personalities. And when I read it, it was one of the first times I read a script where I was like, oh my God, someone put into writing how I feel. And I let them know, I said, I don't care you know, whether you know or not, but this is the first script I've read where I've related and I'm bipolar. And I don't know if that's what got me the job, <laughs> but, but you know, it was, it was, it was inspiring and it made me feel like cozy and cushy inside that people were acknowledging this and were talking about it. Yes, and that there's a superhero character. Well, villain, super villain, but close. Okay. <laughs> more fun, more fun. <laughs> Way more fun. So someone who has like superpowers, like yep. a really strong character. But misunderstood. She had empathy. So that was the thing. It was like a misunderstood character that had not only with her own mental health, but the environment growing up and all these other factors had created this. Like, what else am I going to do but... That's so interesting. It reminds me so much of what you were saying about being told you have to hide this part of yourself. Of course, when, when mental health and mental disorders are villainized, bad things happen, you know? And when we are compassionate and understanding and accept people and educate ourselves and learn about all of this, we find out that it, it's actually not as scary. I mean, it's, it's challenging, I know, but it's, it's not a scary thing. It's not a threat to the world. Right. It's part of life for a lot of people who have mental health issues. Absolutely. So at what point in your life were you, were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed 
between 21 and 22. I always forget. So I say both. Um, but I was diagnosed from an acupuncturist. I had been to, uh, gosh, psychiatrists and therapists and hypnotists and all sorts of people throughout my whole life, not knowing what the problem was. I was put on antidepressants when I was 15, which made me suicidal because it's actually does the opposite effect of balancing. And this acupuncturist I'd known for years, he was a family friend. I was explaining my symptoms and I said, oh, I'm just stressed, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I think that you're bipolar. He deals with a lot of actors and creative types. And he said, all the signs kind of point to this disorder. Why don't you go get it tested? And I had gone to a new psychiatrist and told them what someone had recommended to me. And he says, well, why has no one ever told you that? Of course you're bipolar. I thought, what? What? So it just, to me, now looking at it is a more of a reason to kind of fight for it because so many people, especially at a young age, are misdiagnosed because they think they're hormonal, um, that they're going through puberty or, you know, girls are just hormonal in general. Was it validating to have that understanding about yourself? How did you feel when you, when you saw this term, you heard this term and, and started to realize, oh yeah, this is it. Yeah. I felt like, wow, there is, I never had this aha moment with it, with the diagnosis, but I kind of was happy. I forgot what celebrity said it said when they found out that they were diagnosed bipolar, it was like, oh, okay. So there is something that can be helped because it's the unknown, which is kind of scarier, right? You don't know. So it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm bipolar. My life is so much better. Like now I know, but it was, oh, okay. So this is a thing. I'm not just insane. I'm not just crazy. Right. Because when you're searching and searching, it feels like, is this all in my mind? Right. I'm only struggling because I'm quote unquote, weak. I can't handle things. Mm -hmm. What do you want to share about what your symptoms have been? So many. I mean, they started as a young baby and that's what people don't realize. Bipolar disorder starts when you're young. When I was like two, three years old, I used to just bang my head against the wall for no reason. And that was all like being a perfectionist. And even at a young age, I would have this frustration and people would think it was a temper tantrum. And my mom would say like, no, she's not having a temper tantrum. Something is seriously wrong. A child who's a baby doesn't just decide to start like throwing their head against the wall. When I was five to six, I couldn't cross thresholds. I could couldn't go from one side of the door to the other side because I was afraid either something bad was going to happen or if I didn't do the best that I could do, that I would be a failure. So it was better not even just to try. And then, you know, I, I had this enraged inside of me and this heavy depression and then mania and I would just drive for like days on end and I could stay up for like three, four days straight without sleeping when I was about 15, 16, and that continued, you know, but then being put on the antidepressants, I think was absolutely the worst thing that ever happened to me because it made me a suicidal person. And when I never was, I never acknowledged that. I never thought that. And it just made me hate my life so much that I didn't know what else to do but escape. So now looking back at that, I'm like, whoa, that's nuts. Because I don't feel that as strongly as I did, you know, I still have my moments where it's a struggle every day just to get out of bed and continue on life. But I never had an urge to just give up because I couldn't even just breathe anymore. 
So I think it's that's I think the most important thing is this misdiagnosis and seeing the signs and being able to kind of pinpoint and help out. Right. Because I have a, a friend who was diagnosed with bipolar after being treated for what they thought was postpartum depression mm. because hormones can play a big role right. and all that. And same thing where the antidepressants actually had an opposite effect in another way where she swung so far into like dangerous mania. Right. It's interesting to me that when those things happen or when somebody becomes suicidal from taking an antidepressant, that the reaction in the medical field isn't always, we should look into this being perhaps another condition. Like that seems like a red flag that is not uncommon. Totally, totally. And I think that that's what's, what's so scary is it doesn't matter how far you are in your life, you can learn of a new diagnosis at any age. And I posted something that my friend had posted the other day, and it was in regards to postpartum depression. And people don't acknowledge that that is a mental health condition, right? They just say, oh, postpartum, you know, over and over. But it's not an acknowledge that it's your mental health, right? So there's so many aspects, so many times in your life that you're going to learn new things about yourself and wanting to change. Looking back on your journey, how has bipolar impacted your relationships? Totally. I mean, I feel like until recently, until the, the man that I'm with now who I'm married to, I'm like an adult, it was relationships couldn't have been harder, especially pre-diagnosis. I think that I had a lot of fun in my relationships. And I had great ones, but there was always that snapping point where people would push my buttons. And I didn't know at that time, I didn't know how to vocalize that their pushing just ignited the fire even more. And I think that then I was diagnosed and then I was on my medication and men use that as an excuse as to their bad behavior. So I had a lot of guys cheat on me. And a lot of people would say that, oh, well, you're crazy, you're insane, you're starting fights because I was open about being bipolar. And currently with Sturgis, the first moment I met him, I was like, just so you know, I'm bipolar, you know? And he was like, okay, cool. Totally went over his head. But it is a challenge even in our relationship because every day is a challenge for him because I, yes, I'm very balanced, but I still have high highs and lows, lows. And he knows how to like kind of walk away from me if I'm going to have a temper tantrum, you know, if I'm going to have a moment. But it is still hard every single day. But I'm with someone and I'm lucky enough to be with someone that is understanding and is not going to hold it against me. You know, I always use the example of, you know, you're not going to criticize someone for having cancer and blame that as to the reason why the relationship's not going well. You know, you can't use that excuse anymore. And I allowed men to do that to me. And I allowed that abuse over and over and over because I would just tell myself, well, I am crazy. So this must be the problem. Yeah. When we're in a culture that says, that you are. It's hard not to think that. Especially a woman in general. I mean, you know, I was just doing a podcast and we were talking about one thing that I I have seen now as a continued pattern, you know, specifically with Kamala Harris, is there's such a balance for a woman to not show their emotions and to be as, in quote, unquote, strong as a man. And if you go too far, well, you're hormonal, you're crazy, you're a female, like must be that time of the month. And that's how I constantly felt all the time because I had to 
catch up with myself being bipolar and not just be labeled as a crazy woman, but as a crazy person in general. <laughs> and crazy is my favorite word of all time when I use it in a very empowering way. Yeah, you've reclaimed it. This is a part of me. It's my crazy. It's not the yeah, one you're defining I'm fun. for me. I'm crazy fun. Yeah. And has bipolar impacted your, your sexuality as well? I was always warned that on medication, right? There were a few things on medication I was warned about. And not with the Lamictal bipolar medicine I'm on, because the one that I'm on is as least affecting as possible in the sense where they give it to all the actors so they can still cry on cue and they can still, you know, being on this medication, I was very careful and aware of what the side effects were going to be. The side effects are as about as low as possible. The only real side effect is if you get a rash, it could be a really bad deadly rash and you're allergic to the medication and call it a day. That was literally the only thing that was different because I had a lot of friends that were on antidepressants and not only emotionally did they shut down, but sexually they shut down. And I'm not an overtly sexual person, but I am an ex-dancer. I'm very comfortable in my skin. I should not say this because my neighbors always see me. I am naked 24 hours a day, but I'm always wearing socks because I have this weird touch sensory issue where I can't touch towels and I have to wear socks. Really strange. But other than that, I'm, I'm someone that grew up so overly comfortable with their body. When I was younger, I was confused why people weren't okay. I would come home from preschool and take my clothes off and I got in trouble at school because I would be walking around in a diaper and they'd be like, your daughter needs to put her dress on. Aww. Like this is inappropriate. So that was never a concern for me because I knew going into the medication that that wasn't going to be a problem for me. Now I wasn't a slut, but I did have fun in my day and I dated a lot of guys and I got them to always be my boyfriend. But yes, I mean, I, I, I am someone that is very in tune with my body. And I knew that if my sexuality went away or I wasn't feeling confident about my body and I wasn't feeling, not even the actual sex, if I wasn't feeling sexy in myself, then I would know there was a problem. Oh, that's so good. And I love how you phrase that too, because our sexuality, when we say that, a lot of times people think we're talking about sex or even more specifically intercourse. And our sexuality is how we move in the world and how we relate to people. It's a sense we have. That's really, that's really lovely. It's like a confidence, you know, and it's not like, and trust me, I have so many insecurities where I constantly think that something is on my butt and I'm like, someone needs to look like what's going on. Like, do I have something in my nose? Like I'm someone that's very insecure with, with those kind of things. But when it comes to my sexuality, when I'm feeling good, like don't touch me because I am so hot. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Do you remember learning anything about sex or sexuality growing up? You know, it was something that was so open and I have people that I talk to, especially on the show and not just with sexuality, but in general, right? Conversations were just not brought up when they were younger, especially my friends who are in the LGBTQ community, right? They're like, parents never talked about any of that. My mom had so many gay men around her. I was a dancer. My first friend when I was a kid, he was obviously gay. He didn't know it yet. So sex was never a weird thing to me. I don't ever remember having a sex talk with my, with my mom because it was talked about when I was a baby. Like, 
It was just facts. So I never had those awkward childhood years where I was like, oh my God. Like even when I was younger, my mom's going to kill me right now. We would send funny cards to people all the time and they would always be like naughty, like dick jokes and like naughty, like when we would send it to boys, like it would be like these big breasted, like sexy, like women. And my mom thought it was the funniest thing. And I thought it was a funny thing. Like we took it, sexuality and sex was so lightly taken and just as if it was like brushing your teeth, it wasn't a big deal. No wonder you have this comfort in your body. I wish more people had that because most people learn the opposite. And so there's this shame around their body. Well, yeah. And, you know, just in general, like my mom always had every kid at the house every single weekend. And it was like, whatever you do in the house, you do in the house. You're not driving. You're not leaving the house. Like, even if you're not drinking, like, I don't care. Like, you're here and we're going to watch over you. And I think that that's what made me so not rebellious. And that's why I never really drank. That's why I never, like, you know, did drugs. Because for me, it was not a big deal. I never felt the need to rebel, sexually rebel with alcohol, like rebel with any of that. So I asked my mailing list subscribers, my email list, if they had questions for you or for us about mental health in general, anything about mental health. And we received some pretty cool questions. I think they're good ones. Yay. Uh, one of them is... I was diagnosed with bipolar one and am newly single and wondering about whether to mention it with online dating. I'm bipolar one as well. And I don't know. That's such a tough question. It depends. Are you looking for a fun, just like random dates and like a good loose time, like not loose, but like that's the wrong word, but are looking for just like something casual and fun. Are you looking for something serious? I don't think that it's necessary. It doesn't define who you are. So I think that it's something that should be weighted to talk about in person, unless you are in the state of COVID that we are now, and everyone is getting to know each other in the dating world more so than they ever did. They're doing long-term relationship dating online because people can't actually meet yet. So then it can come up in conversation. But the way that I would always respond to my bipolar disorder, or I would mention it, I would mention it in the most casual way. I would never be like, oh my God, so I have bipolar disorder. No, no, no. I think that's the wrong approach. I think you'd just be like, hey, I have bipolar disorder. It's like, nuts, but I have it. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions about it, I'm here to answer. Just thought you should know, like it's something that, that I like to share with people. And like, just if you make it as casual as possible, you're going to get the most casual reaction. And if you get someone that is an asshole and doesn't like that, then isn't it better to know now than later? Yes. And as you were saying that, I was thinking that is the way that ideally we talk about sex too. When a kid has a question, if they say, how are babies made? And you're like, oh my God, oh my God. Well, um, um, or what's down here? And they're pointing at their vulva or their penis. And you're like, don't, don't do that. Oh my gosh, hide that, honey. You know, then they have stigma immediately. It's not Jesus in the stork. I'll tell you that much. It's intercourse. <laughs> and I hope it was fun. Exactly. Okay. So here's another one. I was diagnosed with a mental illness and medication was recommended to me. I'm scared to take it because of how it might have side effects, including on my sexuality and in my relationship. 
How do you get past that fear? And what can I do if I'm worried about side effects? Okay. Well, I think the first and foremost thing is talk to the doctor. That's what I did, not just with the sexuality aspect of it all with the sex drive, but just in general, what side effects are. I think that the more you're informed, the better it's going to be. Never Wikipedia anything and Google because you're going to see the worst things possible. So never do that. But yes, I would speak to the doctor first. I would warn your partner and say, hey, the doctor, it's all about communication, right? So you say, hey, the doctor wants to prescribe me on this. I have no idea what my sexuality, what the side effects are going to be. So that being said, if you feel that there's anything different, please communicate to me because I know that I'm going to be very sensitive to this and I'm going to be very cautious and I just want the honest truth. And that medicine might not be right for you, but I say that for, I know for bipolar medicine, it takes like six to nine weeks for it to kick through. But as long as you're honest and once again, if your partner can't deal with it, like they're an asshole and like you're better off without them. You know, good point. Okay, here's another one. I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety and I think I may have an anxiety disorder, but my partner keeps telling me it's normal to be anxious. He says everybody's anxious and kind of downplays my symptoms. I don't know if he's right or if I'm actually struggling with something that I do need treatment for. I have insurance and could see a therapist, and I don't know why I haven't taken the leap yet. I know for me, sometimes I didn't take the leap because I was embarrassed and not for other people, but for myself, because it's a sign of weakness, I always thought. Let me emphasize this enough. You are a stronger, sexier individual if you take your mental health seriously and go to a therapist. There is nothing wrong with that. You may be perfectly fine and your partner might be perfectly right, but no one will be able to know that until you get the professional help. And so be sexy, be confident, and you don't have to share it with him. You can just go and do this yourself. Either they're going to prescribe it for you or they're not, or they're going to tell you you're extremely anxious and you have extreme anxiety, but you should never have someone else who's not a professional give advice and tell you what you are. Because I was just talking about this on, on another podcast where you know we were talking about people who die by suicide. I had this argument where I said, well, you know, there's all these people that could be attacking you and you don't know, but they're not really the cause of, of the death, but, you know, they could contribute. And the other woman was like, they are absolutely the cause because no one knows what you're going through on a daily basis. No one is inside your head. So you could already be anxious and, you know, not feeling yourself and, and being so lost and it takes one person to trigger something. Now, I'm not saying that your, your partner's trigger. I'm not using you as an example at all. My point is that no one knows what's going on in your mind. So no one knows what that last word is going to be to someone who actually will give up because they can't survive anymore. So, you know, you won't know until you go to a professional and that's the only way to get the proper help. So yeah, that would be my advice. Just go to a doctor first. I wouldn't even tell your partner and then eventually, you know, let him know. You know what? That is great advice too, because really our first priority has to be, we have to be okay. Like we have to take care yep, of ourselves absolutely. first. So, and then you can come from a place of strength and say, Hey, I worked with a professional to yep. figure this out. This is what I know to be true about myself. Right. You're a brilliant actress. Do you have a favorite role that you've played? 
I think my favorite is is one that I did about 10 years ago, and it was for the prequel Battlestar Galactica. It was called Caprica. And the reason why I liked it is because I played five different people, and mostly I played these two characters called Zoe, and it was a VR version of myself, an AR version, VR. Anyways, that's embarrassing. It was like another world. I played Zoe, the real girl, and then Zoe A, which was the augmented reality form of her that lived in the virtual world. But it was so fun because I would do the role and shoot it together. And one girl was very powerful and strong and the other was soft-spoken and weak. And so it was so fun to play two people because I feel that way all the time, right? I do have two personalities where I do feel strong and high and feel amazing. And then there's this weakness inside of me that comes out. So that was probably my favorite role to play because I got to do every little bit of it. That's amazing. I imagine the empathy that you have cultivated through struggling in your own mental health is a huge attribute on set. Do you apply that to acting? Well, I mean, yes, you have to. With the Caprica show too, especially, I think that that was so special and I did use so much empathy and I did have so many emotions with that because I hadn't been diagnosed yet. So I really, really felt all the emotions all the time onset and offset. But yeah, you have you have to find empathy in every character, even if they're a villain, right? Even if they're crazy, but you get, literally give a piece of yourself in each role. And I know that sounds like so snooty and like, oh, I'm a famous actress. Like, no, no, no. But it's like true, you know? You have to find love and you have to find some sort of connection. And if you don't connect to that character in some way and find that, it's very clear to the audience. Since this is Girl Boner, I have to ask you about makeout scenes and kissing scenes. It is the most awkward, awful. I have the worst stories. Like everyone for the most part has been really nice. I have this one makeout with this guy on a show when I was 18 and I'm a vegetarian and I've never eaten meat before. The producers were dicks and they had him eat sausages and I think it was like beef jerky or hot dog before on purpose because they were just rude. And I had to make out with them and it was like revolting. It was so awful. I had to do and making out like other than that, I've had like pretty good makeouts, but it's so uncomfortable and it's so awkward. And then one time I was on the show Workaholics and I had to play a porn star and they needed the sounds of some girl like orgasming to like an extreme of over the top porn star, like not even really happening. And I had to do it and there was no quiet space. So I did it with the director and the sound guy in a small closet in between takes. And both of them were such angels. They were like, this is so uncomfortable. I am so sorry. I can't believe we're doing this. I'm so sorry. They were so sweet. And I did the first one and they're like, okay, can you do it a little louder and a little like nasty or, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just said that to you. I'm so sorry. They were so, so, so sweet about it. 
and tried to make it as normal as possible. And like, I made it really funny just over the top, but it is not fun to have sex scenes, even with the hottest guys. And I've never had a, an actual sex scene, thank God, not yet, but even just making out, it's real weird. What's the most awkward thing about it? I imagine having a lot of people around is a factor. And then also like the technical parts. Yep. They put your head a certain way and they make you stay there. On Caprica, I was 21. I had just turned 21. And the boy who played my boyfriend, Avin, who's amazing, he was 15 at the time. And I was playing 15 and we had to have a makeout session and his mother was there and it was his first, I think, on-screen kiss. So that was really awkward. It's so technical. It's so ridiculous. My first kiss ever ever was on television. I kissed Frankie Muniz and Malcolm in the Middle. So I will never have a first kiss. It was recorded and documented in front of my mom oh my and his gosh. mom. So that's awkward. It is not glamorous. <laughs> I asked Alessandra if she has ever worked with an intimacy coordinator, a professional who helps ensure the well-being of actors who participate in intimate scenes on set. She said she hasn't yet, but she hopes she will once a sex scene comes her way. Intimacy coordination is a topic I hope to explore deeper in a future episode. To hear about my own extremely awkward first kiss story that also involved some theatrics, join the Girl Boner Patreon community. For as little as $2 a month, you can support the show and my mission and get some really fun extras along the way, including bonus content. Head to patreon.com forward slash girlboner or click the link down in the show notes. What is your biggest turn on? My biggest turn on, oh my gosh, you have to be funny. I know that's so cheesy, but you have to be funny. And you have to think I'm funny. <laughs> if you think I'm funny, then I'm pretty much like an easy, like, I'm like, all right, I'll go home with you if you think I'm funny. I love it. And what is your biggest turn off? Uh, just guys that are pretty boys that, that care so much about themselves and their looks. Because they'll never care about you the same. <laughs> If they're gazing right past you into their reflection. Yeah. And what sexuality or sex advice would you give to your younger self? Keep on trucking. Keep on feeling free and comfortable with your body that you're on the right path and don't allow anyone to blame anything sexual relationship on you being um, bipolar. Learn more about Alessandra Torresini at the links down in the show notes and subscribe to her podcast, Emotional Support. So Dr. Megan Fleming has a really cool workshop coming up and it involves explicit sex tips. So she joined me to chat a little bit about the importance of those tips to share a really spicy one and a bit about this wonderful webinar coming up. So why is it important to get explicit sex information? Well, I think it's so incredibly important because the reality is 
nobody teaches us about sex. I mean, if you think back to when we got sex ed, it's about not getting an STI or getting somebody pregnant. There was really nothing about pleasure. And the reality is porn is a horrible sex educator. And so um, to really learn very uh, explicit tactical strategies and all the different ways that we can touch our partner with our hands, our mouth, with sex toys, that for somebody to sort of give us the step-by-step -step is something that we're just, we don't get exposure to. And the reality is we're not sort of born amazing lovers. These are skills. And so I think it's worth time and energy to really discover and really feel the confidence in ourselves as lovers and our ability to give our partners pleasure. Oh, yes, absolutely. What would be one example of an explicit sex tip? One of them is called orbiting. And I can tell you that eight out of 10 women highly enjoy some sort of continuous circular motion around the clitoris. So you start with one finger and play both with large and smaller circles where the clitoral hood and the skin is included and really exploring both light and firm pressure. And then I'd have you while holding lower on the hood near the bottom edge, that's gonna feel more intense than when you're holding high on the hood. So when you're exploring with your partner, work your way up to circles with two, then three, and then four fingers, and really just noticing the different sensations as more fingers are covering a larger area. I love that so much. So you're going to be hosting this wonderful webinar with Kenneth Play coming up on December 3rd. Would you share a little bit, first of all, about Kenneth. Who is Kenneth? How did you meet him? So Kenneth is a sex educator and his background actually is in personal fitness. I met him five years ago when I was speaking at the Sexual Health Expo and, you know, along with other sort of sex educators, it, you sort of became great friends and sort of sharing tips and resources because, as you know, I train like mad and always love to learn from the best. And then two years ago, we collaborated on something called Husband Camp because, again, he's kind of my go-to person for explicit sex ed. And I had a lot of husbands. You know, when you've been together with somebody for like 10, 15, 20 years, it's sort of like, how do you explain that you've learned something new? Because <laughs> you might then think, are they having an affair, right? So it's an opportunity to learn like, what are some explicit skills, things they haven't yet tried? And also understanding that context that I actually went and I took some training, right? Because that's how important it is for me to know all the different ways I can give you pleasure. Brilliant. That's so great. He sounds like a, a great resource. So tell us a bit about the actual webinar, how people can sign up and what they can expect to learn. Sure. The webinar, you can sign up by going to my website, greatlifegreatsex.com forward slash sex hacks. And another op option is to text sex hacks to 66866. And it's going to be 9 p.m. on Thursday, December 3rd, Eastern time. It's going to be a fun evening. It's going to be sort of a conversation so you can get to know Kenneth and sort of the work that he does. And I think another important piece of this is that he considers himself sort of an average guy, like with an average size penis. I think that's so important because when you see his level of confidence and ability to talk to you about the ways to give pleasure to your partner, I think you'd just be blown away by how much he's sort of hacked and figured out. It's going to be an opportunity to learn. And as I said, he's going to distill down to sort of his top three recommendations just to give you a tease of sort of who he is and the work that he does. And it's also going to be an opportunity to ask him and or me any sort of sex questions that you've always had and wanted to know the answer to. So It'll be an evening with two sex experts to just learn and have a lot of fun talking about sex.
Mm, I love it. So exciting. Thank you for sharing. And I hope everybody signs up. Any last thought you want to leave with listeners today? Well, just that I really hope that they can join because who doesn't want to really rock their partner's world? And that, again, sex conversations are often so difficult to have, uh, much less knowing the different ways to give our partner pleasure. So hopefully by attending this evening, you're going to come away with a sense of possibility that probably you've never even considered. Megan wanted me to mention that Sex Hacks with Kenneth Play is free and his tips are science-backed, which I really appreciate. Learn more about Alessandra Torsani, Megan's webinar, and the new Girl Boner Patreon community and the rewards you can receive at the links down in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.